welcome back to Unapologetically Black Unicorns. This is Karis, the podcast host, and I don't really have a guest today. I'm actually recording on August 28th, which is the 60th anniversary of the March on Washington. And, you know, I guess it's a time for a little bit of a reflection. And we'll have actually a recording that my father did for me a few years back. But first of all, let's talk about the March on Washington. So um, that occurred on August 28th, 1963. I was but a mere baby. (laughs) I was alive. So now y'all can try to figure out how old I was. But what's really interesting is I remember when I got into mental health work, I asked myself, when are we going to have our march on Washington? And and we still haven't had one, at least not one that has been that large with a wide variety of people who are invested in and fighting for people who have mental health conditions or who've been given diagnoses of mental health conditions to get exactly what they need in order to move forward um, in their recovery and flourishing. So if you've seen visuals or images or media about the March on Washington, there are about, you know, 200 to 300,000 people that participated. It was huge. And they were all up and down on the Lincoln Memorial towards the Washington Monument. And it was really a sight to be seen, you know, Black folk and white folk really coming together as part of the civil rights movement. Now, what was really interesting about the March on Washington, the more that I read and learned about it, the March on Washington was for jobs and freedom. Why was it for jobs and freedom? That's really interesting if it's part of the civil rights movement. And I think it's one of those interesting ways to be able to bring people together around a common theme that's very hard to say that, you know, white folks are for jobs, are they not? (laughs) Like Mexicans are for jobs, are they not? Black people are for jobs. Like everybody was interested in jobs and employment and freedom to be able to choose like where they wanted to work and, and how they could work and how they could live. So that was a way actually to bring so many people together across racial and ethnic lines, across political lines by talking about this idea of jobs and freedoms. And I thought jobs and freedom, and I thought that was really um, interesting because I actually didn't know that as part of my growing up. You know, I understood that the March on Washington was called the March on Washington for Civil Rights. It was actually the March on Washington for Jobs and Freedom. Now, it was part of the Civil Rights Movement, which of course is really important to keep at the center. But sometimes, you know, we will use language. And I I think that's like... um, I had a guest before talk about the importance of how we communicate and strategic communication. So I think that's a very strategic way of communicating what was important in the civil rights movement, but to bring a large group of people together about moving that forward. The March on Washington on August 28th, at that time, it was the centennial signing of the Emancipation Proclamation. There were mass movements and demonstrations that had occurred throughout the United States. And also they had successes in um, the Birmingham campaign. So there was a lot going on that actually spurred and um, gave time for activists to prepare 
for this big move. People will remember the March on Washington is when Martin Luther King gave the I Have a Dream speech. It also was definitely the catalyst to passing the Civil Rights Act of 1964 and the Voting Rights Act of 1965. I mean, this was an amazing, amazing feat for its day. And I, I think about that a lot at the intersection of race, ethnicity, culture, and mental health. And a lot of times in our peer movement, I will see people have quotes of Martin Luther King in their subject line of their emails, or they'll quote them during presentations. And a lot of times what I've heard also about the, um, it's called the consumer survivor ex-patient movement, is that it's founded and grounded on movements before, um, such as the civil rights movement. Now, sadly for me, I, I don't know how well we have done in addressing disparities for Black and Brown folks within the consumer, survivor, ex-patient, and peer movement. Matter of fact, I don't think we've done very well at that. I, I think it's it's starting to get more attention and people paying much more attention. But, you know, there's more that can be done, not just in the peer movement, but I think in the mental health movements in total. And so when I do presentations, and I did a presentation, I think, about eight years or so ago at Johns Hopkins University, probably it was at the Department of Psychiatry. And I really, you know, was asked to probably share my personal story as part of what I was doing but, but I also wanted people to hear my personal story, not just somebody who had been given a diagnosis of a mental health condition, but also the intersection of what it means to be Black and Black in America. And I was getting ready to give the presentation and I felt like mm, something's missing. Like, I'm, I'm not quite sure what it was. My father was there uh, because my father lives on the East Coast and, you know, I live uh, on the West Coast. So it was nice to have my father in attendance and actually see what it is that I do for a living. Um, and so he was there and I wanted him actually to help me kind of think through this presentation. So literally a couple hours before the presentation, I asked if he would read for me a slide that I had in the deck, if he would actually read the text of the slide. And it was Martin Luther King's creative maladjustment speech. And that's something that I had heard talked about a lot in the consumer survivor expatient and peer movement was this idea of creative maladjustment, creatively responding to things that just were not right <laughs> or didn't feel right in, in the mental health services space. And I had asked people to think about, but what does the creative maladjustment speech mean for Black people? It's okay to take it and adapt it to what it means for people with mental health diagnosis who feel like their needs aren't being met. But I worried that we weren't talking about it relative to, but what about Black people who are receiving diagnoses that are either right or wrong, because we can be um, overdiagnosed with certain diagnoses such as schizophrenia. But what does it mean for Black people who are given mental health diagnoses? What does it mean when, when we come into systems of care and those systems do not meet 
our cultural and linguistic needs. What is what does that mean? And so let me tell you a little bit about the creative maladjustment speech, and then we're going to shift into my father actually reading that speech. This is a recording of him reading it about eight years ago. So let me um, first start by saying that uh, Martin Luther King was delivering a keynote speech to the annual conference of the American Psychological Association about how psychologists had given the world this idea of maladjustment. And MLK said, you know, given us a great word, but there are some things in our society, some things in our world, which we should never be adjusted. And I couldn't agree more. And so do we get diagnosed because we're adjusting in a way creatively to things that they themselves are maladjusted? Or do we call people maladjusted? I think that's really powerful point and why I wanted to share this speech with the audience and why I actually want to share it with you. Though it has it was not it was given, you know, several years after the March on Washington. Many people know the I Have a Dream speech, but not many people know about the creative maladjustment speech. And I'll end the podcast by saying one of the other things that Martin Luther King said was that The saving of our world from pending doom will come not through complacent adjustment of the conforming majority, but through the creative maladjustment of a non-conforming minority. And I'm, I'm hoping as you listen to the podcast today, listen to my father reading part of the creative maladjustment speech, that we think about where can we be creative and maladjustment as part of a non-conforming minority to really change things that are happening in behavioral health today, really move the dial to what we think we know, to opening up our world to the possibilities of things that are new, uh, things that we've only done a little bit of, but could do more of like peer support, peer respite, family respite, family support that includes trauma-informed care, moving to more preventative supports in community where and when and how people can receive them, building trusting relationships, all of those things that don't really exist now as we move to doing more things like increasing use of courts, increasing use of involuntary treatment to get people help, not addressing high cost of living and high cost of housing that is pushing people to the streets. It's not mental illness that's pushing people to the streets. So how can we be that non-conforming minority? Let's take a listen to my father reading part of the creative maladjustment speech. And until next time, we'll see ya on Unapologetically Black Unicorns. Thanks for listening in. Men and women should be as maladjusted as the prophet Amos, who in the midst of the injustices of his day could cry out in words that echo across the centuries. Let justice roll down like waters and righteousness like a mighty stream. Or as maladjusted as Abraham Lincoln, who in the midst of his vacillations finally came to see that this nation could not survive half slave and half free. Or as maladjusted as Thomas Jefferson, who in the midst of an age amazingly adjusted to slavery could scratch across the pages of history. 
words lifted to cosmic proportions. We hold these truths to be self-evident, that all men are created equal, that they are endowed by their creator with certain inalienable rights, and that among these are life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. And through such creative and maladjustments, we may be able to emerge from the bleak and desolate midnight of man's inhumanity to man into the bright and glittering daybreak of freedom and justice.